Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Dear Christian friends, you know that if you are having issues with your your sight, your vision, that you are probably going to make an appointment to go see an optometrist. And I suppose I, I could earn some brownie points by making a referral right now within our congregation, but I'll let you figure that out on your own. But you know enough to go to an optometrist because an optometrist is trained to, to help you determine what is the best course of action. Is it just a matter of needing prescription glasses that will help sharpen your focus? Or is something a little more serious needed, perhaps surgery that could fix or correct a problem? At any rate, you go there understanding that they are trained to help you see as clearly as you possibly can. As we touch on the subject of of vision, of sight, and and being blind from a spiritual standpoint, I wonder if when we talk about sight versus blindness, rather than talking about how well we see in terms of our spiritual health, maybe we would be better off just referring to how blind we are. Because the fact of the matter is, all of us are born into this world, not with sight, but blind. And while that changes over time, really, we never have perfect vision, do we? This side of heaven, spiritually speaking. We acknowledge that any sight, any vision is a gift of God. We we know that that it is the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see, but we also realize that, that even though we see this side of heaven, our vision will never be perfect until we get home to heaven. So though blind, we see well enough The Holy Spirit, through His Word, opens our eyes to see Jesus as our Savior, and He will continue to enlighten us, to open our eyes, to give us clearer vision, to see Jesus better throughout our lives, but it'll never be perfect, the side of heaven. And we can say the opposite, too. The other other reason, maybe, to speak of our blindness is because throughout our lives here on earth, we will continue to demonstrate our natural bent toward blindness when we not only stumble in, when we not only slip up in, but sometimes even seek out sin. We still demonstrate that our natural tendency is to to be blind. This morning, as we we talk about this topic of blindness, let's, let's think of it in terms of perhaps three different categories that we can consider in terms of how blind we are. And as we hear these categories, the question is, of course, to to see not only how blind we have these examples from Scripture, but how blind we are, or more specifically, to make it hit home, how blind you are. To what degree do we still struggle with spiritual blindness today? The first category is perhaps the easiest to identify. We we could put into this category the people who who are blind but ignorantly so. But they don't even know that they are blind. So when I use that word ignorant, I, I'm not talking about it in a pejorative sense, in a derogatory way that we throw it away around in our society today, but, but ignorant in the sense that they don't even know that they are blind. That would be the, the non-Christian, the unbeliever, who, who may have some familiarity with Jesus, who may or may not have heard about Jesus but is clueless as to why Jesus matters 
or why Jesus is important, and if nothing changes, is clueless, and maybe has just never pondered or thought about what happens after this life. And of course, if if nothing changes for that person who is, is blind and doesn't know it, then eventually, when he's done with this life, he will enter into life that is apart from God forever. That kind of, of blindness that is, that is ignorant of its own blindness was really kind of like the, the individual in the gospel this morning. Had that man who was born blind, if he had never come into contact with somebody who could see, would he have known that he was actually blind? That would have just been life as he knew it. He wouldn't have known there was an alternative, would he? Until somebody with sight showed him that he was blind. And so it is with so many that are, are wandering that, that are ignorant of their own blindness. They don't even know that they are blind. That's, that's one category and perhaps the easiest to identify. And then there's another category into which we as Christians fall. Again, recognizing, as I, I mentioned, that, that our sight has been granted as a gift of God's grace. And you saw the different pictures of that in all of our lessons this morning. Whether it's the picture of, of being darkness and, and now light. Or the picture of, of being blind and now being able to see. And we are thankful, we are grateful that, that God in His grace has opened our eyes to see Jesus as our Savior. But as I mentioned, it's an imperfect vision. We still struggle with blindness, acknowledging that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit, working through this Word, through the sacraments, will continue to to increase my sight, my vision, my clarity for understanding who Jesus is and what he means to me, but knowing that that will never be a perfect 2020 vision this side of heaven. And of course, knowing how much I gravitate toward my own natural blindness that would actually prefer the darkness at times, that would actually prefer to do what I want in my own blindness and pretend to be ignorant of it. That's another category. There's a, a third category, and, and this, is, this is by far the most dangerous category of those when we are distinguishing between being able to see and being blind. Because this category is comprised of those who think they can see, but in reality are blind. So this might be somebody that, that grows up in a, a home that is, is raised to believe and, and is taught something other than Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life for salvation. And they are convinced of that. That's how they are raised. Or, or maybe just later on in life, they have come to believe some other false teaching that, that some other way apart from Jesus is how mankind sees or gets right with God. Or maybe this is, is an individual that is confident of their own unbelief. Maybe they know who Jesus is. Maybe they're familiar with Scripture, but in their own, their own wisdom and enlightenment, they deny that there is even a God and think themselves wise in their own sight. They are the ones who can really see. And you know who would fall into that category from also the Gospel this morning? would be the Pharisees. The Pharisees that, that approached Jesus and took issue with the miracle that had happened. You remember the encounter as they were trying to do their detective work and find out exactly what happened. They, they went to the blind man and, and when he explained to them what his perspective was, 
Having been asked by them, what's your opinion? What do you think of this man, Jesus? John told us this was their response. After the man had said, I think he's a prophet, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They excommunicated him. They they kicked him out of the synagogue. You have no business among the religious people. How ironic, as Jesus pointed out, as the Gospel of John points out, they were the ones that thought they could see, but in reality were blind. What did they see? All they saw was a man breaking the Sabbath. What they didn't see was a man keeping the greater law of love for your fellow man. As Jesus cared enough about this man born blind to compassionately heal him and give him something he had never before ever experienced, sight. And then took it a step further and gave him something that would serve him not just for his temporal time here on earth, but for eternity, the gift of faith to see him as his Savior. They thought they could see, but all they saw was a lawbreaker instead of somebody that was a law keeper in their place, a Savior who demonstrated this is what love for your fellow man looks like. Another version of those who would fall into this category is perhaps the most scary. Because this would be those who sit inside churches and call themselves Christians. Well, how can this be? How how can you possibly know? You can't see into anybody's heart, so so how can we know that there are some who, who claim to confess the Christian faith, who sit inside churches and call themselves Christians, who will be in for a rude awakening when they have to meet God? Jesus is the one who explained that that was going to be the case, wasn't he? And in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, we're told that, that Jesus himself says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who sits inside a church and labels themselves Christians will enter into heaven. Clearly, Jesus wasn't referring there to unbelievers who are not going to be calling out, Lord, Lord. They are happily ignorant. They deny him. They want nothing to do with him. So he must be referring there to those that think they see, but in reality are blind. So who might that be? That might be the Christian who who thinks and has bought into the lie that, that I can clutch sin in this hand and my Savior in this hand and all is well. That I can have the best of both worlds. Because I know this might be a sin, but, but since I am a Christian, God looks at it differently when I do it. Because I know forgiveness. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And furthermore, those who who make that confession of faith, and yet over time, for various reasons, but in some degree or another, it it is likely because of of either an unsteady diet or a diluted diet of the means of grace or an altogether famine from the Word of God and worship and, and being in the means of grace, that gradually over time, that individual has 
been led into a false sense of security that is certainty, her certainty, is based not in faith in the Savior, but in membership in a church. Not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Those would perhaps also be the individuals about whom Isaiah was referring to. When you consider the the words that the prophet Isaiah spoke out, who was he referencing? He was referencing Israel. And and what was the, the picture or the description of Israel? Not a flattering one that he painted in chapter 42 at all, was it? He recognized that that these, after all, were God's chosen special people, weren't they? These were the ones that were set apart. And look what God, through the prophet Isaiah, says of them. In chapter 42, Hear you deaf, look you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one committed to me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but have paid no attention. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. Nobody in the history of the world had the privileges that God's chosen people had throughout the Old Testament. To hear the word of the Lord sent again and again through his very own prophets, who sometimes represented him, other times not so faithfully. And they turned a deaf ear to it. Who saw the works that God had carried out on their behalf, miracle upon miracle, only to be blind to them. Failing to recognize. Now, now, what does that say if God's people with his special privileges and special sights and special revelations given to them through prophets could still remain deaf and blind? Well, if that could be the case for them, then it's possible for anybody, isn't it? So what hope is there for those who are blind, especially those who think that, that they can See, Isaiah holds out the hope that that only our good and our gracious God can give. In verse 16, this is God's promise to those who are blind. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. One verse. Five times God repeats something profound. I will. The solution to your blindness and my blindness is not found in anything that you could do. The only thing that you could do is is be more deaf, be more blind, be more cut apart from your God. But God takes measures into his own hands and he says, I will. And the most beautiful of all of those times that he repeats it is the last one. I will not forsake them. And the promise that he gave to Israel in their blindness is the promise that he holds out to you and me. I will not forsake you. Ever. Not even on your worst day. Not even on the day that that you loathe yourself more than you think anybody else could. 
Not even on the day where you are, are blind to your own sin that, that others see in you far before you do. Not even in the day that you wouldn't blame somebody else for wanting nothing to do with you because of the shame and the guilt of your sin. Not even then will God forsake or abandon you. Because that is not how our gracious God operates. He never has. It's not how he operates now. And he's never going to change his mind about it in the future. You notice the I will is an ongoing, it's a future activity. I'm going to, I will never, I will not forsake you. Not today, not ever in the future. Because that is not how it ever happens. The only way it's ever going to happen is the other way around. Is if we forsake him. For he will never abandon or reject us. That's the blessing of of the promise that Isaiah gives to us that by God's grace, even though we are blind, we are bound to him to guide us always. Yet, keep in mind that picture of being bound to somebody. You've seen two people tied together trying to make their way through an obstacle course, right? Where one goes, the other has to follow. Now that's all well and good if one of those two individuals has the obstacle course memorized and blindfolded can lead the other through it as long as he is willing to follow and they'll get safely to the other end of that obstacle course. But what happens when the one who doesn't know the way tries to take the lead? Let God guide because the only thing that's going to happen when, when we take the lead, when we insist on guiding, is remember that we are still bound to him and that means that he is going to go anywhere we go no matter what that path is, no matter how shameful, no matter how embarrassing, no matter how dark and despicable, he is right there with us. Let him guide. Let him lead. Don't insist on, on taking God where you want to go because you, friends, are blind and only Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. What a wonderful difference, spiritually speaking, how we address our blindness. We don't need to go to an optometrist to try and fix our vision. We have something better even in our blindness. God doesn't say to you, fix your sight so that everything will be right. He says, even in your blindness, you are bound to me and I will be your guide. And that is a promise that God can make to us because Jesus blazed the trail of perfection and obedience for us. A path that we could never, not only follow, but ever blaze on our own. And how did he mark that trail for us? With his own blood. And so we are bound to our guide bound by baptism, by body, by blood. And these things are the proof, brothers and sisters in Christ, that when your good and your gracious God makes that promise to you, I will not forsake you, he means it. Amen.